Welcome to episode three of Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour. This month I am joined in my parlour sharing a cup of tea with the, do you know, I was going to go with the, the sort of alliteration thing I did last week with Dion and then realised there aren't that many good words beginning with N, sorry. Um, no, there aren't, there are hardly any. It's like I, I'm joined by the nefarious, is that even a thing that applies to you? Probably um, not. It, yeah, no, I think it probably is, <laughs> thinking about it. All right then. <laughs> Yeah, the nefarious Nick from the Monkey on My Back podcast and Ting, and uh, I, I do forget these things, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he said it earlier to me before we were recording. But still, founder of the Elephant Words. Yeah, that's right. That's me. Website. So, just to like you know, people who haven't heard of you before, what is Monkey on My Back and Elephant Words? Good old Nick. Uh, uh, Monkey on My Back is well mom we call it Mombcast because it's easier than monkey on my back but it's a, a weekly podcast about comics what do we call it the uh, the best weekly comic book podcast recorded in southampton on a thursday night and you have to include the whole thing otherwise the best isn't accurate we're probably <laughs> we're probably the best recorded in southampton on thursday nights that's true it's a not safe for work, P, not PG. I don't know what you'd call it. We're a bit filthy. We talk a lot about masturbating. Do you know what? I don't think anybody who listens to this will mind, considering that in the last episode I had quite a lengthy conversation about Batman porn and cheesing Catwoman's eyes. So. <laughs> no, I remember that. <laughs> uh, oh, anyway. that was brilliant. <laughs> have, you, have you actually seen the, the porn that I was talking about? Because I'm starting to feel like now that I'm just some sort of massive dirty perv. I haven't, but I don't think I need to now because... I think what you're envisioning is probably better than what (laughs) happened on screen. (laughs) It just sounded, it sounded bizarre. I mean, we don't, we don't really watch porn recreationally in in our marriage, so... (laughs) I'll be honest, I've never actually seen any other porn in my life because I've got literally no interest in it, but Rich was like, Stace, it's Batman, come on. But, um... (laughs) It was, like, entirely based on the Adam West style show. Uh, like, the Joker even had the moustache under his face paint, and it was all just very, like, oh, God, I don't know what's happening. Oh, there's a penis. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we're not going to talk about porn on this episode. Okay. Um, so I'm going to throw it over to you, because I'm always very kind and let my, go- my my ghosts... I don't have ghosts on the show. I have guests. I always let my guests go first, so... After you're, you, only th- you're only three episodes in. You, you might resort to ghosts at some point in the future. Maybe. I, I will run out of friends pretty quickly. <laughs> oh, <but> there, <laughs> there, there are some fairly prominent comic-y, dead comic-y people now, so you could probably get some quite cool people on. That's true. I imagine. That, that'll be around October, I reckon. We'll have a Halloween <laughs> episode. Maybe. With Har- Harvey Picar and Mobius. and Yeah. Is, is it too soon? Maybe. To be oh, okay. Nah, it's fine. It's fine. I don't care. 
cut it's that. Staying in. <laughs> staying in there, you said it. Okay, <laughs> that's good. What do you want me to talk about? What do you want to talk about? Do you know what? You can talk about anything you like, mate, because nothing's forbidden in this parlour. So go. Well, I could I could mention that we were um, my wife and I have been watching through Buffy. I don't know if you ever saw Buffy because although it's majorly geeky, it's kind of quite old now, isn't it? I suppose. I, I was sort of semi-watching it from around, uh, like, series three, I think it was. And then I went back and watched one and two. And then I got bored of it around five and stopped. And <laughs> I've never seen the last, is it two series after that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the very that... last episode, though. And I was like, who's that? What's happening? Who's she? Uh, what? Oh, they're all, I uh, don't know. You can't go back and watch the last episode if you don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, I felt like I needed to be a part of it because I was like, I've got a vague idea what's happening. It's fine. I think the episode that like really actually it may have been a bit further in than series five to be honest. But there was an episode that was almost like tremors with these like underground worm things, and I was like, nope, signing off. This is crap. <laughs> Oh, do you not? Uh, I, not because you're scared of them. You just don't like underground worms. No, no. I just thought the episode was just a ridiculous oh, pile of garbage. That might have been the last season. That was it. Might I don't see. I didn't remember getting that far. There was an underground worm trying to kill people because a revenge demon had. Anyway, yeah. I think basically I know exactly what you mean because although I've had, although I. I really liked it way back when. I think the thing I've realised rewatching it with uh, my wife is I hadn't, I don't know the last two seasons very well at all. So there must have been loads of episodes I missed out at the time. Mm-hmm. But I have to, I have to say that uh, maybe I'm just born to watch stuff on DVD. You know, watch stuff in big chunks because I've really, really enjoyed it watching it through. And my wife's not really very geeky at all. And there have been loads of points where I've looked across at her in this sort of furtive way, uh, thinking that she'll have been completely lost by one of the the really nerdy bits in it. And she's just loved the whole thing as well. So, yeah, it was really good. It was quite sad. The finale was really sad. I think the really good finales are really sad, but I tend to be the one, the guy who likes finales that no one else likes really because i love the end of lost as well <laughs> so i oh, see i never watched lost i think i watched the first episode when it was on and i was like don't get it and turned it off <laughs> <laughs> i haven't got much tolerance for things that are like look how mysterious i am without really reveal like i don't want them to you know reveal the whole farm at the start but you know give me give me something to sink my teeth into and that was just like ooh, mystery and i was like no nope, fuck it can't be asked I think I think you probably did the right thing because although I loved it, there were a lot of people who stuck it out until later and got so distressed by it. <laughs> I don't know. Whereas I just thought it was great. I just I you know most of the time um, I plod along watching shows that people are complaining about, and I'm just like la 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 la. No, I'm still enjoying it. It's good. It's fine. Um, and a lot of that happened with Lost, and it certainly happened with Buffy and Angel as well. But yeah, it's it's I I don't know. I think the problem with Buffy. And it kind of ties in to your thing about mystery as well, is there's a point about season three or season four where Joss Whedon kind of knew he had um, he had the viewers and the network was going to let him get away with a lot. So instead of having like one off sort of action episodes, he'd, he'd have these really long stories mm-hmm. going on. And those are only really any good if you're willing, you know, if you know you're going to tune in, if you're committed and you're going to pay attention. You can't just drop in and expect each episode to make sense or to deliver on its own, which I think is kind of a shame because 
you know, that's expecting a lot from a viewer, I think. Mm. Um, Farscape is a show I love, but that really suffered from that later on. I don't know if you saw that. I've just started, well, I say just, a while ago I watched the first episode and I rather enjoyed it, but I haven't watched any more since because my pile of things to watch, especially now that I've got Netflix, is ludicrous. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, we uh, we just noticed that Love Film has um, the car- castle on it. Oh, yeah. Which my mother-in-law has been going on about, and so we've made an effort to watch. We just watch so much Mm-hmm. what I think most people think of as crap, you know, Stace, to be honest. <laughs> I just... quite like Castle. It's one of those things, though, where, like I said this the other day, and Rich almost kicked me in the shin, is that I think as much as I I absolutely adore Nathan Fillion, but he's not a good actor. <laughs> it's, it's really uh... weird. He's a bloke who can totally get away with not being very good, and I don't care because his characters are likeable and he's really charming and handsome, and it's just he just fits things. He just fits the... He fits it's the, the character of Castle so well that I don't really care that he's actually not very good. Yeah, um, no, I, I can I can understand that. He's he's a star rather than a rather than an actor, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, I love him. I absolutely love him. But at the same time, I just think, how are you an actor and I'm not an actress, mate? <laughs> Seriously, I'm about as good as this. <laughs> <laughs> he's um, th- actually. I'm glad we started watching Castle when we did because we haven't watched. Um, I loved Firefly, but my w- my wife hasn't seen it. You'll this is a bit. I, I'm going to start sounding a little bit henpecked because basically a lot of my evening. Uh, entertainment rotates around what I can con my wife into. <laughs> but we started watching Castle and quite enjoyed that. And it's her first real exposure, proper exposure to Nathan Fillion. And then about six episodes from the end of Buffy, he turns up as a villain and he's the worst asshole in it. <laughs> like he's just a complete misogynist and uh, he's got a, this whole creepy religious thing going on. And oh, he's not, I mean, he, you're right, he's still basically Nathan Fillion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but he's cre- he's not very nice, and I thought I'm glad that we watched him that way around because I don't know if she'd have been able to get past how horrible he is in Buffy for when we're watching Castle. If that makes sense, yeah. she can't really get over seeing Spike turning up in other stuff or. Oh, he's, yeah, it's weird. I think when you're sort of invested in certain characters, like when Anthony Stewart Head pops up in anything else, I'm like. Yeah! <laughs> as opposed to Anthony Stewart, you know, like he popped, he's in the in between us for crying out loud. Oh, in the and movie, he's just, yeah. He's just sitting there and he's swearing or whatever, and I'm just thinking, Giles, just you kiss your mum with that, mate. <laughs> it's terrible. Have you seen Free Agents? No. Oh, it was kind of a drama sitcom thing. They did a really bad American version of it, but the British version had Stephen Mangan and someone else in. I can't remember who the other woman was. But he, uh, Anthony Stewart Head, is that his name? I always get confused by double-barreled <laughs> names. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he was in it, but he's constantly dropping C-bombs and F-bombs. Oh, no. And, uh, and I don't think I could cope with that. And he's absolutely vile. It's quite... He just chews that stuff up. He loves it. And we watched uh, we watched one of the little features at the end of this, and he's like rocking it with his uh, with his little earring in, and he's much less proper in real life, which oh. is quite quite weird to watch. And then Spike's there talking in an American accent, and that confused her. And <laughs> I don't know. love it. I think the the thing for me with Buffy, I mean, inevitably, when me and Rich get through our humongous pile of TV shows that we've got to watch. We will probably go back and watch it because he has got the DVD box set of like mm. the complete thing. 
I think I think it's the thing for me with Buffy is that when it's good, it's so goddamn good. Yeah. Like for example, Hush is probably one of the greatest episodes of anything I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is brilliant. It's like because the gentlemen are just the creepiest things ever floating around with those horrendous grins and. The whole idea of not being able to to communicate or scream for help and oh it's just uh, and then you know there's like the episode I think it's called the body where she finds a mom. That makes me cry. That episode is I don't just mind like admitting. I tell you what it's like somebody just reaches out of the screen and punches you right in the heart. It's mm. horrible. I think especially the fact that there's like no soundtrack during that bit. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like a completely natural setting. It's almost like you're exactly there. Watch, oh, so when it's good, it's like one of the greatest things you could ever watch. But when it's bad, it's just it's garbage. And I cannot, <laughs> I absolutely cannot stand Sarah Michelle Gellar. I you know, it's funny you say that. <laughs> a terrible actress, and I don't know how she keeps getting acting jobs. Um, well, she didn't for ages after Buffy, did she? I mean, I, I um, this is another thing about me and TV. I hardly ever like the main character. Like, um, I watched quite a lot of Ali. Oh, this this is embarrassing. I watched quite a lot of Ali McBeal. Um, <laughs> at, at one point, I think because it was on just before the West Wing on Channel Four. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and that's more respectable. <laughs> and and in all of these shows, I always hate the the person in the middle because they're always so vacuous and annoying. But the supporting characters are always really, really like interesting and funny mm-hmm. and really like lovable, especially in Buffy. So, um. The other, the other thing that happened, you mentioned the body, and up until that point, we've got two dogs. One of them's called Anya, and one of them's called Willow. And up until the body, I think my wife couldn't understand why I'd named one of the dogs Anya, because I'd had that one before we met each other. But there's a scene with Anya and Willow in that episode that just makes me, like... I'm much more likely to get all weepy while we're watching TV than my wife is. It's embarrassing, frankly. <laughs> Real life doesn't upset me at all, but like TV, TV just tugs tugs on my heartstrings. It's terrible. Oh, and the other thing, the other thing is, I was really worried when we got to that we'd get to the musical episode because my wife hates. Well, she loves musicals, but she likes them so much that seeing them in other contexts can sort of bug her. Like the South Park musical was a hard sell. Mm-hmm. and and stuff like that but um we watched that episode a couple of months ago and basically that i hear the cd now at least three times a day See, <laughs> that's, that's another episode that i thought was awful you didn't like it Not they aren't even a all bit. they aren't all great singers <laughs> it has that, to be that doesn't bother me because I, I actually preferred the fact that they went with their own terrible voices because mm-hmm. it was a much more considering the situation and the reasons why they were singing it was much more like realistic yeah no, <laughs> i know what you mean no the problem for me was that i can't take musicals outside of the stage or cartoons yeah. i can buy a musical when i'm in a theater setting because i don't know it's just like an entirely different beast and in a yeah. cartoon i can deal with it like in disney films i can deal with it being overly musical because it's it's not really it's a dish but when it's i don't know when it's on like tv shows it's one of the reasons why i could never get on with glee is i'm like stop bursting into song and pretending you all know the fucking dance routine yeah. what is happening and why and then the outcome of that episode was so like there was literally no reason it needed to be a musical no except that he decided he wanted to do it wasn't it and that's it and that's i it's a little bit arrogant but i kind of yeah i know what you mean there are probably loads of really academic 
studies on the way musicals are completely they are not a representation of reality at all even the ones that people love like um greece although it's got that whole high school setting going on Mm -hmm. they take off in a flying car at the end of it (laughs) (laughs) oh god that film makes me laugh i was talking to somebody about this the other day because i said i absolutely love the film greece but the message that it sends out is so terrible and she went how is it it's a wonderful message about like summer love and high school romance and i was like no, it's a message about how she changes herself into an utter cunt to yeah. impress him, and he changes himself into entirely the opposite of what he was to impress her, and then they love each other. It's yeah. like, hey, kids, change yourselves. People like you better. It <laughs> is, con- and it's confusing as well, though, isn't it? Because it's not even like most films like that where it's conform to the norm. It's one of them becomes a complete rebel. Yeah, they just completely swap place. It's very odd. I don't imagine that relationship holds together for very long after they've okay. flown off. Quite aside from which, I don't know how you land a flying car, so it might end really shortly after the film. Yeah, because, I mean, she seemed quite surprised that it was taking off anyway. Yeah. Look at that she... last scene. So he's, you know, <laughs> not sure what happened there. There is that thing about romance that I always think the reason we connect with Romeo and Juliet so much as a culture is it's like the perfect romance because it's this completely vacuous, vacuous relationship between two people who only really seem to love each other because they're young and stupid and then they die at the end. So so you never you never have to worry about where that relationship's going to go. Mm. So it can be this perfect thing because it just... Romance just doesn't... That's one thing you get from Joss Whedon things. Nobody ever gets a happy ending in Joss Whedon things. I'll be surprised if he manages to get through the Avengers without, like, <laughs> killing off some... Well, I suppose he can't really, can he? But, um, really? I'm not looking forward to the Avengers. Are you not? No, I feel like I should be, but the thing is, I thought Thor was good, and I like Chris Helmsworth, and also he's pretty. Uh, <laughs> that's just me being entirely uh, see-through there, don't care. But... Oh, <sighs> I don't know. I just can't see the team that they're having, like, coming together and working as a unit in Mm. the sense of, not even just in the sense of the film, but in the sense of the actors and stuff. They just seem like, it. I don't know, it just seems like a chalk and cheese situation. And then how are you going to integrate the Hulk, who's, like, the third different guy to play the Hulk in this sort of semi-continuity thing they've got? It just, you know, it just they're trying to build this sort of Marvel universe, and they haven't even got a Hulk that stays the same bloke for more than a day. (laughs) It's like, fucking hell. I don't know. I just, I'm going to go and see it, and hopefully I'm going to enjoy and eat all of these words with a side of fries but yeah i don't know not not i think it was captain america that did it because i didn't enjoy it very much did you not like that we um i didn't i didn't mind it that much actually there were a couple of bits that annoyed me mostly the the fact that most of his proper adventuring you see in montage in the middle which which never goes over well with me um and they seem to be spending so much time placing it in that extended marvel universe which they did with they kind of did with Thor as well, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I really like Thor, but if I had to compress it down to two things that, that really made me like it, actually three things. I really like the bit where he's in the diner and he really likes the coffee, so he slams the <laughs> cup <Yes>. down. <laughs> that made me laugh a lot and I wasn't expecting that. And I liked Cat Dennings and I'm, I'm not entirely sure why, but there was something I really liked about that actress. And I liked uh, Heimdall. I really liked Idris Elba's Heimdall. I am, to be honest, I I feel kind of the same. And I feel like all the bits that sort of are sort of cementing it into the 
the universe are the bits that I don't like. Like, I can't stand that S.H.I.E.L.D. operative bloke. Do you not like him? No, he just sort of appears and never knows what's happening, but pretends to be really authoritative about it. Yeah. Like, mate, fuck off. Like, you obviously haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Get somebody like, you know, Tony Stark in. He'll he'll sort you out. Yeah, don't need you. And I hate all those bits sort of... Oh, actually, here's another thing about just total tangent in my own brain there about the Avengers is I don't know how well Hawkeye is going to sort of fit in because he was so sparsely used in Thor and he hasn't as far as I'm aware appeared in anything else no he was in he was in Thor for five minutes and it was literally just as I recall you meet him for the first time he is using a bow and arrow inexplicably but it's not explained why yep and he climbs to the top of a scaffolding on the off chance that he might get a shot at Thor and then gets told not to fire at him and yeah. that's his that's his whole that's his, bit. Yeah, that's his bit. I mean, I'm excited to see more of him, but I just yeah. think for for the sake of the people who aren't big comic buffs who are going to want to go and see this based on, you know, enjoying Captain America or Thor or whatever, I don't know how well he's going to integrate because nobody will know anything about him. Yeah. And, and he's, you can't... Re- I don't know how you can fit sort of an origin story for him in, mm. even a little one, just so we know who he is. Because as far as I'm aware, like... In my head, he's probably just going to appear with a with a bow and arrow, and nothing's going to be said. <laughs> It'd just be really weird. But, you know. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's that's the problem with him. And I suppose it's not like he's not got the drawing factor of Scarlett Johansson, where people don't really care who the Black Widow is because they like looking at her. Mm. People don't really know him that well, know the actor all that well. No, I think you're right. I just I was a bit ambivalent about it, and then we watched a trailer for it at John Carter in 3D, and I don't really like 3D movies. I hate 3D. <laughs> but the trailer, the trailer did get. You see, the thing about the Hulk is, <laughs> I really like him, and I've kind of I've got a soft spot for the way they do the way they handle because although it's three different actors, I think the CGI has been almost identical in, in each film for the actual Hulk himself. I don't know when he turns up and he starts roaring and then there's buildings falling over. I, I I'm a sucker for trailers and I know that they're kind of designed to to suck you in like that, but I get all excited and Have you seen the all... Swedish trailer? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh gosh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. The funny thing was I watched that before I watched the actual trailer. Um, it was it was hilarious. I mean, the the woman who's playing um, little uh, Scarlett Johansson person has not got red hair, and so she's quite obviously just got a piece of red fabric tied around her head. <laughs> it's brilliant because it makes absolutely no sense, but it's awesome. I don't think the trailer makes that much sense because you're absolutely right. The Hulk, the Hulk and Thor and Iron Man are so overpowered compared to all of the other characters in it i just don't know and robert downey jr is going to just blow all of the rest of them off the screen anyway that's the other thing i'm worried about is that you know here i am saying oh chris hemsworth is really good as thor and then he's going to be there and he's going to be next to robert downey jr and i think oh no he isn't (laughs) (laughs) he's not really good as thor Although having said that, I wasn't that fond of Iron Man two either, so I don't know. I quite I quite enjoyed Iron Man two, but there seemed to be a lot of bits in it that didn't gel with me. It's um, like Rhodey stealing the suit, trying to sell it, and upgrading it with a shit ton of guns, and then being like, "What up, bitches?" You know, <laughs> didn't you just say that people shouldn't have this kind of? Oh, I don't know. It's a little bit confusing. It feels like two really good films that have been crashed together into one mediocre but quite long one. I think is the problem. So I think that's why there are loads of elements that just seem to come out of nowhere and then go somewhere completely unexpected because I just it just feels like they were trying to do too much. Mm. That's that's Hollywood at the moment though. 
Don't get me started. They <laughs> <laughs> so, were uh, Buffy then, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, no, I just thought it was really good. It, what was interesting was all of the, and I remember this from the time, actually, Sarah Michelle Gellar wasn't, that there was a video of the rap party on it, um, and Sarah Michelle Gellar wasn't there. There were a couple of people from Angel there, and people like um, the girl who played Drusilla and... Sorry, the lady who played Drusilla and um, the lady who played Dala, who weren't in it that much. They were all there, but no Sarah Michelle Gellar. And I think I think at the time she maybe thought, screw you guys, I'm going to Hollywood. I'm going into movies. And then that kind of just didn't happen for her. Did <laughs> Wasn't she in like Scooby-Doo? <laughs> she was in she was in the Scooby-Doo's. But I think the, the real the real star of the Scooby-Doo movies was definitely Scooby. So, I mean, yeah, those, <laughs> those films were terrible. They weren't good. <laughs> um, and then, um, and she was in Scream, and I think she she died in a few films. I know she was in the, like a few ho- horror movies where horrible oh, things. Oh, she was in The Grudge, wasn't she? That was awful yeah. as well. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't a good film. But she's back. She's back on, um, and it's another one of those guilty play. You know, I said we watch a lot of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, she's on a show. To tell me you watch The Ringer because <sighs> we can't help it. We hated the pilot and then we hated the next episode, but it's got the guy out of Lost on it. And you're right, there's no, it's not good. <laughs> there is no excuse for this. No, to be fair, I haven't actually watched any of it because I saw the commercial advert for it and it just looked like the total opposite of something I wanted in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, you know what, I think I'll give that a miss. It's, there's this level at which you're kind of, you, you start watching out of this morbid curiosity of seeing how an actress like Sarah Michelle Gellar is going to play two twins. Because, you know, you have to be a pretty good actor to pull that sort of thing off. And the way she does it is by having different hair. Literally, that's... Brilliant. And and they both constantly changing outfits as well, so it can be quite confusing. And but I think I think what it is is twenty four finished a long time ago, and we haven't. It's been a while since we've had a show that that really doesn't care if the plot makes any sense. It just keeps throwing twists at you. <laughs> so it's like every episode finishes with a moment where you're like, I cannot fucking believe, did they really fucking do that? And it's like, well, yeah, it's easy for them to do that, actually, because they're not paying any attention to consistency or anything. Mm-hmm. So it, it's quite, I don't, there really isn't any. We watch some good TV as well. Have you been watching, I watched the first episode of Awake the other day. Have you seen that? Oh, no, but it's on the list. I really, I really want to watch that. That looks really I interesting. I won't spoil it too much then, but suffice to say that the first episode has me totally hook, line and zinker. It's, it's good, is it? There is literally nothing about it that I can say was bad or misdirected or badly acted. or Like, pretty much everything in it was, was flawlessly awesome for me. And it is so goddamn intriguing. It's one of those, it's one of those programs that it's like... Where I was saying earlier about the first episode of Lost, mm-hmm. it just went, here's some stuff, and then expected <laughs> you to be interested, and I wasn't. Yeah. Whereas this is like, hey, here's some subtle sort of, ooh, and I was like, oh my god, I want to watch it all now, can we, please? Uh, <laughs> why can't we? I want to. You know that we're not built, uh, as, as Brits, we're not built to watch that sort of American show, though, don't you? Because they'll try and get as many seasons out of it as possible. This is the one thing that bothers me, because uh, are you aware of what the premise sort of is? Yeah, it's really similar to a graphic novel from a couple of years ago, actually. But that was called Revolver that came out of... Yeah, he, he falls asleep in one world and wakes up in the other. Is yeah. that right? And he's essentially he's not sure which one's real. Yeah. In in the one, he's lost his wife in a car accident. In the other, he's lost his son in the same accident. 
and he's not sure which one's real. And he kind of doesn't want to ever be sure because this way, at least he gets to keep them both just separately. <laughs> that doesn't sound like the sort of show that's going to make me laugh lots. It's, it's not. It's not. A, it's not a, a no. You won't. You won't have a laugh watching it. I can tell you now. <laughs> but the thing that I really liked about it is that the dude's a cop. Mm-hmm. And um, in each of these two realities, he's got like different partners working on different cases. But there's like overlapping sort of clues that kind of leak into one another that help him sort of like so things that happen in one reality help him solve the case in the other. But he's not sure which one's coming first, so he doesn't know which one's sort of the real thing. Mm. <laughs> it's all very sort of whoa, what's happening? But I do think it's the kind of the kind of premise that you can only really get away with a season for because. I don't know how long you could drag it out, even having the separate cases, because the cases on their own are really interesting, and I would watch a show just with those in, probably. But I think with the sort of tying in the realities and the whole sort of, you know, going to sleep in one world, waking up in another, it's, um... There's got there's got to come a point where you find out which one's the real thing, and you yeah. can't drag that out too long, or people will get pissed off by people. I mean me. No, uh, I think I don't think you're alone <laughs> at all. <laughs> And I just, yeah, I kind of, it's the kind of thing, though, that's so good, you don't want it to end. But at the same time, you just think you'll ruin yourself if you keep yeah. going on. It's a, it's a tough one. Because I, I like things like that being on the telly. I mean, I did start watching Person of Interest. Yeah. If you happen to catch any of that. The first couple were brilliant, and then I... Yeah, and then the premise, for me, just lost it. I mean, for those who don't know what the show's about, it is essentially like a dude who, in the episodes I watched, he never found out sort of his exact background, but he's obviously got some very sort of high-end, formal, war style training. Uh, he's a bit of a bum gets uh, sort of picked up by some bloke who has created a machine to help people predict potential terrorist attacks and he wants this ex army whatever bloke yeah um he wants he wants him to sort of run around and do his bidding sort of stopping these terrible events that might be occurring or, or are about to occur according to his machine and it's a really good idea and then sort of four or five episodes in me and rich just looked at each other and i went I don't really care anymore about these these you know, random acts of weirdness. It's like the Harry Potter books. Every book started with Harry being shit at home and yeah. then being shit as a wizard at school and then getting attacked in the face by a Voldemort and then somehow saving the day and then going back home and being shit again. And it was like that. It was like, oh, here's some random thing that's occurred on the machine. Well, hey, you fixed it. Let's go look at the machine again. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so the formula just became a little bit so I'm hoping that Awake doesn't go stale and that it sort of dies when it needs to. <laughs> yeah, I think if you're relying on, you can't, they can't rely on the formula. The cases have to be really interesting. Yeah. I think the, the week by week things. And if they're not, if that's not there, it's just not, yeah, it can get stale really quickly. I mean, life, like, did you watch Life on Mars? That's on the list. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. Because we only saw the first series, and at the end of the first series of that, you still don't know really what's going on. There's a mystery in that as well. But because they're UK shows, you kind of know they're not going to keep going for ages. Mm-hmm. So Life on Mars went for two seasons, and I think Ashes to Ashes went for a couple of seasons as well, but apparently there was resolution at the end of it. But, yeah, I think... Most of the really good TV we're watching at the moment is is stuff like it's either from HBO or Show Showtime, I think, is the other one, or Stars, and they're all like ten episode seasons, and or ten or twelve episode seasons, and you know they're not going to go on forever. So 
they hold your interest and that each episode's packed with an awful lot more because they've got a lot less time. Because mm-hmm. Buffy's like 22 episodes a season or something like that. Something that's ludicrous like that, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the norm. Because you look at things like Friends and stuff, they are as well, aren't they? They're like 22 episodes. And uh, although it's although there are these nice threads that run through them, that is like a machine. There's a machine churning that stuff out. It's not like one guy writing all of them or anything. And, and you know, one guy wanting to... There's a lot of people getting paid off the back of these shows and being kept in work by having them going for as long as possible. So I don't know. But, I, you know, I quite like that there's always another episode of CSI around the corner if we want it. But... Oh, I hate CSI. Do you not like that? <laughs> I'm really coming off badly in this episode because not... I feel like all I'm doing is ragging on everything, but it is pretty shit, mate. <laughs> I think I think that's my fault. I've listened I've listened to the last two shows and and I'm I think I'm the problem here, Stacey. <laughs> I just I've got really low expectations of telly. I think that's what it is. See, I, I think know. mine are a bit too high because, like, I'll be honest, I never used to really watch much telly before I met Rich. And then he introduced me to all sorts of wonderful things and I kind of expected my telly to all be that good, mm. if you know what yeah. I mean. I mean, like, for example, Dexter. Um, yeah. Last year, Rich said to me, have you ever seen Dexter? And I said no. So he got, I think it was series one to five at the time because six was on in America as we were watching it. I think it took me two months to watch mm. all five seasons. Seasons because I just like I was like oh my god this is the greatest thing I've ever put in my eyes yeah you know, like we were saying earlier about the premise going stale the idea of a bloke working with the police killing serial killers and and sort of working on the cases and things after you would expect after a couple of seasons for it to be like how has this guy not been caught this is stupid but they keep the overall arcs and everything's so fresh and it's just so ugh, I I loved it I absolutely loved Dexter. I think it's a great show. I mean, I I watched the first season of that and I'm waiting for um, my wife to catch up because we watched the first one and she really liked it. Mm -hmm. That was quite quite early in our relationship as well and it's one of those things where you're like, I wonder how she's going to feel about this show, about this guy it's quite graphic isn't it yeah it is there's lots of corpses and stuff and it's he's quite amoral well it's quite morally ambiguous and and when you find that they like it that's kind of that concretes a little part of your relationship yeah we both we're both obviously a little bit amoral so that's good (laughs) um it's weird isn't it though because there aren't even their version of a comedy character or whatever is still quite it's quite harsh. It's quite a relentless program. I did really like it, but it's not. It's only funny in a really blackly comic way. There aren't many gags, really. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect any, really. Or... No, well, I don't know. We watch a lot of programs where there are hardened criminal investigators uh, making cracks over... Uh... I, I just need to clarify, I'm not talking about CSI Miami, OK? That one doesn't count. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for you to say whilst putting on glasses and it was playing in the background. <laughs> not, not that one. I've got a friend who has stayed with us, who stayed with us for a while. And I think we used to watch The Wire and uh, we, we, he and I have lived with each other before. So we've watched like loads of these really awesome shows. And um, I think we kind of got into The Wire together and stuff like that. But in his case, what's that's, what that's meant is his expectation of TV has gone up. So when we were when he was staying with us, we'd be sitting watching Criminal Minds and quite enjoying it. And then he'd come in and he'd make exactly the same face that I make when uh, someone's watching Wife Swap or something. And I walk into the room. <laughs> Wife Swap is an awful show. Oh God! But or just like, no... if this is a thing. <laughs> 
Aren't most of them, though? I mean, I don't know. I know you love that one, the to America's Top Models. Is that you? Yeah, it is me. I have this thing where there's a couple of shows that I know I should hate, but, you know, when you just want to switch your brain off and watch something stupid and trashy. I've got I've got a couple. Of, I mean, for example, Don't Tell the Bride is probably one of the worst <laughs> programs ever. But I will watch it because it, it combines two of my favourite things, looking at pretty dresses and being a bitch. <laughs> it's, 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 I am. All I like watching it for is going, God, what a fucking hideous dress or whatever, and then going, oh, look at this cake, isn't it? I want to get married again. <laughs> I call that doorway TV, like wife swapping all, because it's it's TV that I'll walk in from another room and it'll be on, and I won't commit to sitting down and watching it. I'll just stand in the doorway and judge it, but I won't leave. I'll just keep watching. <laughs> But I have to be careful because most people have a level of contempt that they're quite comfortable with for other people, I think. Like they'll be watching a show like that and and they can be, they can look down their noses at the people on the TV because, because, you know, the TV program will finish and then they'll go away from it. But if I watch stuff like that, I just, I just start to really despair about the human race. (laughs) I just can't get away from it. One of them's recorded here in Southampton, uh, One Born Every Minute. The one about the maternity. Oh, I don't watch that one, thank gosh. <laughs> it's stressful. Because you know that there are there are actual people who live in the same actual town as you. It's just distressing. So, I mean, yeah, I look at programmes like Criminal Minds and CSI as quite a step up from most of the British TV we've got pumped <laughs> into our houses. Well, talking about British TV, Being Human, series, was it Series 4 that just happened or was it 5? I'm losing my marbles here. Um, series one was the first one, then series two was the second. I think it was series five, actually. I was see, I was trying to think of this the other day, and I couldn't remember what happened in series four, which is what made me think this might have been it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm terrible. I'm not sure. I'm going to check. Okay. Well, while we're talking, I'm going to check because you didn't. It. You didn't like it, did you? I didn't. Not even a tiny bit. It, it's one of those shows where the first season was one of the best things I watched that year. I loved everything about it except for Leonora Critchlow or however you say her name because I think she's awful, awful actress, and I kind of hate the character of Annie anyway. <laughs> but. Yeah, I just thought it was, aside from her, pretty much entirely perfect in its sort of ability to balance the humour with the drama, with the scary. And uh, all the characters are just so well-rounded and and so well-written. And I just, I absolutely loved it. And then Series 2 came about and I thought, yeah, this is still pretty good. And then Series 3 happened and I was like, "Eh, eh, eh, eh." (laughs) and then depending on whichever this last series was. It was (laughs) 4. I was going to say, I couldn't couldn't remember there being a 4 aside from this one. This series, it lost me entirely. I watched the whole thing simply because it's only sort of, what was it, 8 episodes long? Yeah, they're um, not long. They're not long series, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, so it wasn't a massive amount of time for me to commit to it. And I'm the kind of person who I'm terrible in that don't like to give up halfway through on a story, even if I'm hating it. And a lot of people would say to me on Twitter, Stace, every week after you've watched Being Human, you will say something bitchy and horrible about it while <laughs> you're still watching it. And I'm like, because I can't stop now. And that's not because <laughs> it's got me that sort of hooked in. It's just because of my own completest nature. I am actually can't stop now <laughs> but i watched the entire thing and i just thought i'm gonna spoil the crap out of it now i thought the whole mystical prophecy baby storyline was shit yeah hated that and i hated the fact that they replaced mitchell and george with another mitchell and george 
practically. Um, uh, yeah, they kind of yeah. Very, very close to being exactly the same characters, except Tom, who is the replacement George, is a little bit stupider. <laughs> and I've forgotten his name, Hal, the replacement Mitchell, is a, a little bit more... Actually, no, he's practically literally the same, isn't he? He's actually obsessive-compulsive. I think. Yeah. The, whereas um, I think in the the previous dynamic was that Mitchell was forever trying to get George to lighten up a little bit, and <laughs> it's it's kind of the other way around. But yeah, you're right. He's 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 also like a vampire with oh, a, a history, so, and he's so upset about all the wrongs he's done, and he's a bit of an emo twat. Oh yeah, like Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is yeah. I mean, I I think it's funny actually how much of it is like lift he's how much of it is Joss Whedon light really so so much of it comes from Buffy I think mm-hmm. and not necessarily the good stuff um I think the problem with that is the guy who makes it is it Toby Whitehouse or Toby Whitehouse yeah it wasn't his choice for those two guys to go was it no, so no it wasn't I guess he kind of knew where he wanted it to go and then what's his name the guy who plays Mitchell the one who everyone thinks is gorgeous but I don't you know, obviously see it the same way. <laughs> he decided to go because he got to play a hobbit or something or an elf or something. So he's chasing his Hollywood Hollywood career. And then Russell Tovey said it wasn't quite the same without him there. So it was just kind of he the writer got dropped got dropped in it on that, I think, a little yeah, bit. Definitely. The the other thing that upset me was I mean, I've never been a huge fan of Nina, but for yeah. her to sort of die off screen and get a vague mention. That was cruel. That was that was pretty means. Yeah, I quite liked her as well. So pretty means. You're massacring the English language over there. I am. I am. I, I like to. Uh, I like to fuck shit up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I re- I really enjoyed it to be honest, but I think um, I didn't really like the third ser- season series. Is it serious when you're talking about an English show? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't particularly like the third series mainly because by the time Mitchell left. I was getting pretty sick of Mitchell. He did become very much a sort of... He was a bit emo-ish, like, oh, well, with me, look what I did in the tunnel and I really regret it and I didn't mean to, but now I've got to face the consequences and, uh... I was like, oh, God, here we go again. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's it's kind of... And any drama in that final episode of the third series almost entirely came from Russell Tovey. Like, that, that whole final scene, you didn't really care that... Mitchell was going so much but I think I, I read a I read a, an article about it actually um it wasn't an article it was a review that's a really I, I read something on the internet about it it was probably a sequence of tweets actually where someone was saying that the main problem with it is the main problem with the show is that its strength comes from that central concept that it gets from its name which is it's about the whole point of it was it was about these three housemates who happened to be like supernatural, supernatural yeah creatures and then by about the second it was kind of a problem in the second series but then in the third series they weren't just supernatural creatures they were at the middle of these world destroying storylines yeah i think the other problem as well is that this is going to seem ridiculous because it's a program where a ghost and a vampire and a werewolf are living together but i think they started throwing too many supernaturals at it 
all of a sudden, practically every other person was a something or other. I mean, in series three, I think it was, they got two extra episodes because the previous two seri- series had only been six episodes, I think. All right. Um, and it was it was quite a last minute thing, so they had to write two episodes that didn't really link in with the um the rest of the storyline, and so they had I think it was episodes two and three where there was that new vampire Adam who appeared, kind of did nothing and left. Oh, the youngster. The, yeah. The young yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then they had some zombies in another episode and they just sort of left again and, and, and I had no bearing on the story. And then this season we had a succubus. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure there was something else that I'm forgetting here. But, I mean, it just got to the point where I was starting to think, is anybody in this show actually human? Yeah, it, it kind even, of... Even, you know, it's... Like you say, the central concept is the idea of of three supernatural creatures sort of trying not to accept that they are different and trying to be human. And it it kind of loses it when practically everybody else isn't human either. Yeah, no, definitely. I think think you're absolutely right. It's kind of, it's sold to the same sort of audience that maybe like shows like Teachers or, you know, that weren't necessarily into supernatural Mm -hmm. shows and... It stopped being funny in season three as well, in series three as well. But that's the thing I really liked about this most recent series is I I really liked the guy who played Tom. I know you didn't, did you? No, not even. No, I think my problem with him is he's not. I understand that the part of his character is that he's incredibly naive and a little bit yeah. on the thick side of life, but. That his character contradicted himself. It was like Phoebe from Friends. Sometimes yeah. he would say something that was so ridiculously out of character and not something that somebody of his level of intelligence would have ever thought, let alone said. Yeah. And it, I don't know, I just don't think he was written consistently enough and the actor did my sweeting. <laughs> well, there's that, prob- there's that problem, isn't there, with really dumb characters where, uh, and I suffer from this a lot, where uh, as a viewer I suffer from this a lot, where if I can't tell that someone's supposed to be acting dumb, it, sometimes you're watching it and you're thinking this actor's really crap and then later on you realize that actually no it's just that character is but they're actually really good and the character's <laughs> supposed to be bad but if i can't tell it it starts to really bug me that guy's sister is in misfits she looks almost i don't know if you've watched misfits no nah. she looks they look unfortunately for her they look almost identical <laughs> um, and they've both got that kind of london um oh, no. estuary english sort of thing going on but you don't really realise that she's any good until quite a way into the first series of Misfits because mostly it just seems like they've stuck a chav in in the middle of a a Channel 4 production. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know which one you're on about now, actually, thinking of the adverts and stuff. But and it, it isn't until they give her a, they give her a, a story or a scene where she's actually supposed to emote and make you feel something that you think, actually, you know, she's... I mean, she is a bit chavvy, but... <laughs> <laughs> but she's pretty good. I am. Um, yeah. I think the the thing about being human, the last series for me was, although I kind of hated that overarching storyline of of the baby and the the prophecy and the all sorts of bollocks. I loved Mark Gatiss appearing at the very end, just to swoop in and be intensely creepy for a while. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I that's think he's funny. brilliant because he's kind of a hammy actor. He very much overacts everything, but I don't seem to mind. <laughs> you obviously love him. I mean, he's a bit... That's slightly stunt casting as well, isn't it? Because he's a bit of a favourite of um, the sort of people who they want watching Misfits, I guess. Because yeah. he was in, he was very prominent in Sherlock, wasn't yes. he? Yes. And he's done Doctor Who episodes, I think. I can't remember. I might be yeah. getting... Mangled here, so he's quite popular with a lot of people, and um, 
I, I really like him. He does chew up scenery a little bit. But that's the thing. You see, I'm like, I'll on at one level, I'll be getting a little bit. Oh, I can't believe they're moving away from the them just being in the house and having stupid conversations over cups of tea. And then someone like him will come along, and I can't, I can't begrudge a show that gives me two or three scenes of awesomeness. Yeah. In a in a forty minute episode or whatever, even if that's all it gives me, I don't mm. know. I think the thing about Mark Gatiss in this as well was that, I mean, I don't know about you, but after seeing all the vampires in, all the, the prominent vampires in Being Human, either being sort of almost thuggish or the almost emo sort of thing you get from Hal and Mitchell, yeah. just to have somebody come in and be a bit a bit more sort of Nosferatu-ish about it, because yeah. he was very sort of almost pantomime vampire, but that's kind of, I kind of prefer that. Because, you know, vampires should be a little bit over the top and a bit ridiculous because bleh, it's a vampire. Yeah. You know, I thought I thought he was fantastic. I don't I don't know whether or not I'm gonna bother starting the next series. Because yeah. I don't like the new ghost. Hmm. I'm still not sold on Tom and Hal and I know for a fact if I watch the first episode I'll watch all of them. <laughs> even if I hate it. It's like a disease, Stace. It is. It's terrible because it's just such a big, fat fucking waste of time when I've got so much stuff I want to watch. But, yeah, I just don't know if I can put myself... The thing is, I know that I will. <laughs> I'm saying it now. I'm saying, no, I'll take a stand. I'm not going to watch it. But I blatantly, blatantly am. And I'll watch the whole series and I'll probably hate it, but... <laughs> you'll, go on, you'll be online whinging about... You see, I don't I don't mind that so much. I was, I was thinking about this a lot cause, uh, because I knew we were going to be talking and... I knew that you'd really not liked a whole bunch of stuff that I'd really liked recently. <laughs> but um, I don't mind so much. If people have put the put the work in on the first, even if you've like watched the first series, it's okay for you to like wish it was going a different way in later series. That's not too much of a problem. Because like all of the people who didn't like Lost and um, who didn't like the way Lost finished and stuff like that, I get it. I kind of understand. I don't necessarily agree but i kind of understand but i noticed some people you know game of thrones yeah have you watched that i'm aware of it i haven't watched it yet because um the first season it was all people who kind of want to i guess the first season was people who they'd be interested in that sort of thing and they'd heard about it so they took a punt on it and ended up really liking it or not really liking it and the ones who really liked it watched the rest of it and they got everyone G'd up about the second series because they were excited about it. And so I've noticed a few people that I follow on on Twitter, because I spend too much time on Twitter, who've literally tuned in. There was one celebrity, like uh, Z-list celeb account, who um, like watched the first five minutes of it and decided they were going to make a... like They decided they didn't like it, which was fine, but then they decided they were going to completely disparage it because it becomes the sort of show that everyone has to have an opinion about. Mm-hmm. even if it's really not for them <laughs> at all. Do you see what I mean? It's kind yeah. of, we do this a lot, and I, I'm guilty of it as well, but this sort of rage at stuff that probably wasn't really something we'd ever have liked in the first place is really weird. But yeah, you and being human, that's a shame, because it's kind of, it was so, those that first series was so good though, wasn't it? It really was, it really was. I just, I'm sad mm. that it sort of never really stuck to what it was doing there. And I do think, like you were saying about sort of the whole, you know, world changing situations, it just felt a bit too big for a show that was always kind of about just just being human and not being this big sort of. I mean, this whole storyline with the baby, yeah, um, and this ludicrous idea that if the baby lived, 
that the whole world was going to go to shit and vampires were just going to like eat all of our faces. Mm. But then they never actually explained why her being alive did any of that, did they? It didn't do any of it, did it at all? <laughs> it's like, it was kind of... What, the, you know, there's pretty much no closure on this at all, because, hooray, now that she's dead, the world is saved, but why? Why was her being alive causing this sort of mess? Annie could easily have blown up, this is definitely a spoiler, but Annie could, Annie could easily have blown up that building without the baby in it, so the baby didn't do it, did they? No, not even, so... no. So it just, yeah... I don't know. I'm a bit disillusioned with it. But I I think the the one thing that's making me slightly intrigued about watching the next series is the fact that it's sort of it's almost a clean slate now. Yeah. And they can just sort of start again maybe. Yeah, although there there is that weird human conspiracy thing that showed its head at the very end of the last episode as well, wasn't there? That was a bit weird. Are you still I've it already? <laughs> You'd forgotten it. It was they claim to be around clearing up after the clearing up after the supernaturals. Yeah, what's that all about? <laughs> I don't know. You you you're going to want to know how that turns out now that I've reminded you about. Yeah, it. I'd I'd com- well forgetting about five minutes up before. What a I have. <laughs> well, you have to wonder how much can really go wrong in a place in it's set in Barry, isn't yeah. it? So much supernatural things happen in Barry. Mm. <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous. So much. Oh, God, I really am murdering the English language today. That's that right. so many, but I am quite tired. <laughs> <laughs> we could have been watching The Apprentice. They completely massacre the English language in that show. So. Hate The Apprentice. Yeah, I'm not. There's something else I hate. <laughs> <laughs> God, you're so about, negative. Talk about some things that I like. Looking at my list of things that I was. What is there? <laughs> well, uh, let's not talk about True Blood series four then. Um, <laughs> Did you not like it? No, it's. See, this was another thing that series one and possibly two were really good, and I'm pretty sure three was awesome. The, the thing was, series three had the, the the big bad of it was this this vampire called Russell, mm. who was an absolute cunt bag of a vampire <laughs> he was just he was just an utter bastard but he was brilliant i absolutely loved him and they went from that to this sort of jumped up witch who got possessed by the spirit of a girl who got eaten by vampires years ago and has just become a vengeful spirit and it was terribly acted i can't remember the name of the woman who played marnie but um She's an actress I've never been keen on. I can't remember what else she's been in because I've probably repressed it from memory. <laughs> probably should have looked this up beforehand, but oh well. But, I mean, at one point, I'm th- I think she's supposed to have some sort of southern drawl kind of accent. And it just sounds like she's having a stroke. Um, <laughs> And it sort of dips in, in and out of that and a, just a plain American accent and then sort of into a bit of an English accent. And then there's one bit where she's channeling this vengeful spirit and she's trying to do an Italian accent. And that's just like, you know, that episode of Friends where Joey's like, ah, I can't work on the new accent. <laughs> it's like, it's that bad. It's that level of garbage. And it was just probably one of the worst things I've ever seen. However, spoilers... I'm definitely going to watch Series 5 because Russell is totally back. <laughs> so I'm just going to pretend Series 4 never happened. How was he? What sort of things did he do? That... The way it works in True Blood is that the vampires have this network of sort of like everywhere split into areas and each area has a king who right. kind of rules it. But they have their own sort of hierarchy of sheriffs and all sorts of stuff to make sure that the humans don't realise what a bunch of bastardy vampires they are. And 
just to basically police them all, as it were. And one of the th- first things Russell does is goes on to he just barges his way onto a, I think it's a, a, a newsroom, and uh, uh, the newsreader just getting his throat ripped out and drunk. <laughs> it's like he's just like, yeah. And what are you going to do about it, humans? Mm? <laughs> it's like fucking hell, mate. <laughs> so good. He's just. Oh, God, I absolutely love it. But at the end of Series 3, he was, like, sort of buried in a shit ton of concrete. All right. I'm swearing so much today, I do apologise. No, it's fine, I bring it out in, women. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not a problem. <laughs> but at the very end, like, the very last episode of Series 4, there's, like, a sort of a brief shot of a big hole in a piece of concrete, and then some of the people having a conversation about, why were they digging in the middle of this car park? And you're like, yes! Russell, he got excited. So I, I'm just going to erase series four from my memory. I think. And yeah, I don't, I didn't know much about. It. We watched the first episode of it, and I quite liked it, but I don't think Amy did. So it's, um, it's a tough one because I mean, like Dexter, it's very graphic, but mm. it's also sort of it's you know bits of it border on sort of you know softcore porn. <laughs> That's what would have been more of an issue is if she didn't if she didn't find any of the people in those scenes attractive. So it's <laughs> it might be something to do with that. But the the whole idea of the witch that you were describing sounds kind of. I thought the whole thing about it is that it's not believable so much as it's kind of not fantastical in that way. You know, the witch well, that you were talking about sounds a little bit flighty and a bit sort of it's whimsical. Steadily, yeah, it's steadily got more and more ridiculous. It's still very dark and very mm. gory and very sexy. But, I mean, I can't remember whether it was series two or three. This was a, a, another thing like being human. They started throwing more and more monsters in there. So instead of it being about vampires now existing freely in the world because of true blood, it started being about shapeshifters and werewolves, where panthers made a bit of an appearance. That was weird. Um, mm-hmm. There's fairies. You find out there's fairies. They Brilliant. A thing in life. What? And then there's witches and, and demons and pagan rituals. And it all just gets a bit ludicrous. But Russell's coming back, so... <laughs> That's, is, is this guy attractive, Stace? No, not even a tiny He's bit. Not, oh, okay. I mean, to be fair, I'm attracted to nearly everybody in that show. <laughs> but not Russell. <laughs> I think we uh, we quite often have I quite often have this conversation with my wife, but also with other people where they say, "Oh, you know that scene was that thing was really good that happened in that film or that story, but it would have been better if such and such had happened." And the thing they come up with is nearly always really shockingly shit. And you kind of have to say to them, you know, as as much as you might have been disappointed with what the people who made the program did, um, I think it's good that you aren't the person doing the program. <laughs> And but, and there's that whole thing about fan fiction. You only have to spend a little bit of time on the internet to know that oh, basically yeah. nobody should listen to the fans. No, but never. Once all of these crazy creatures start turning up, you do start to wonder if it feels almost if it starts feeling almost like the people making the show are writing fan fiction rather than actually. <laughs> there is a scene in one of the episodes in series four where I mean I don't know if you're aware of the whole thing in True Blood where if a vampire drinks your blood, they become like intensely attracted to you and very in tune with your sort of desires and, and feelings and whatnot. And vice versa, if uh, if you drink a bit of theirs, you'll have sort of saucy dreams about them and stuff. And there was one scene in, in an episode in series four towards the end where Suki had managed to drink both Eric 
and Bill's blood and they've both drunk hers and there was like almost almost a three way <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it just felt such like fan service it was it was crazy I was just watching it thinking is this blatantly for those people who are writing fan fiction stories about Eric and, and Bill having it off because <laughs> I mean, it just seemed like you know it, it had no relevance to the plot even yeah. a little bit so it wasn't it didn't have anything to do with that it was just a case of oh let's see how many people we can get in their underpants in this scene <laughs> the what the other thing i wondered about that show from watching the first one and i this might be a bit perverse of me but i always wonder this whenever you get a well-known enough actor in a program like that does suki does suki is there nudity with her yeah. Is she not just scenes with her in her bra and stuff? No, there's full-on boobies and oh. uh, almost twinge, so... Oh, cool. Because I find that fascinating. She she has sex with, like, pretty much everyone. No, that's a lie. Uh, actually, with quite a few people in it. <laughs> she seems so sweet in the first episode. Yeah, she's not. After she drinks some blood, that's it. She's like a ravenous uh, vampire sex whore. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. We should make an effort to watch that then. I'd like, if, if, Kate, if it's good enough for Kate Winslet, if nudity's good enough for Kate Winslet, then it's good enough for anyone. That's what I reckon. The thing is, Anna Paquin has such a butterface, it's <laughs> is that what we're calling that now yeah it's you know everything's attractive but a face oh <laughs> <laughs> that's uh incredible she was in <laughs> she was in x-men wasn't she that's rogue you're talking about yeah sorry no that's okay i just realized that's... i went off on one again about something else that i really disliked so <laughs> i um we we kind of devoured a couple of series of uh spartacus um recently on on the subject of actors you wouldn't expect to see with the kit off <laughs> basically if everything i've heard about true blood is that it's quite raunchy but spartacus is so violent and and we loved it to be honest but i can't recommend it to anyone I've, not unreservedly. I've seen bits of it i'm almost a little bit ashamed to say that i caught bits of it because my nan and granddad watch it really my nan and granddad watch it and uh, i came I, I was i came downstairs the one day when i was living at home and my nan was sat there watching it and uh, i'm pretty sure lucy lawless had a baps out or something yeah she uh, does a lot so. yeah and then some bloke was like naked and being whipped or something uh, and nan and granddad were just sitting there watching it was pretty good this program isn't it and i'm like oh god oh god i'm gonna go upstairs i don't want to know <laughs> they're probably waiting for charlton heston to turn up quite possibly was it him in the original i don't know yeah it's it's bizarre because i don't know we we recommended game of thrones to the parents-in-law knowing that it might be a bit sketchy because that's quite violent and a little bit rude but i don't think we're going to be recommending sparkers to anyone over the age of 40 it probably killed them i am the last four or five episodes of the first season every episode had a scene in it where we thought whoa i really could have lived without ever seeing that happen to, <laughs> to a person's body just oh dear really really more than more than um we were expecting but it is really good but it is very violent and if batman porn was a bit too racy for you i don't know if you'd really like sparkers all that much but you do get to see xena's baps <laughs> That's. I'll, I'll be honest. That's not a big drawing factor no. for me. Sorry. It wasn't for me really. <laughs> but once you've seen, once you've seen them, you're kind of fine with it all. It's. It's. 
<laughs> See, I don't think my family are normal because the fact that my nan and granddad watched that like it was nothing mm. it just is bonkers to me. I mean, my nan, I remember sitting watching um, Zach and Miri make a porno with my nan. And she <laughs> really? Thought, she thought it was absolutely hilarious. I was like, oh, I could have I could have lived without watching a film with my nan where somebody got bummed so hard they shat on another guy's face. <laughs> oh, God, I'd forgotten yeah. that. Golly. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, steering it away from the gross. I'm going to steer it away from telly for a bit now because I've just realised we've been talking for nearly an hour and a half. Oh, gosh. And, uh, and all we talked about is telly, which ordinarily would be fine because I love TV stuff. But I've actually got quite a lot of other things I wanted to mention. <laughs> the first being in an attempt to integrate some more music into the podcast. Are you aware of the future heads at all? Very, very vaguely. I don't think... Yeah, I, I don't know them really well. I know I know a few songs... Most people know them from their cover of Hounds of Love by Kate Bush. Yeah, I think that's the one I know. They've just released their fifth album, and it's the third one that they've released on their own label. Uh-huh. And uh, I, uh, I feel really bad because the Future Heads are like my favourite band in the world. I absolutely adore them. They can barely put a foot wrong with me. There is one song of theirs off all the other albums and B-sides and all sorts of crazy EPs and things that I've got. There is one song that I cannot stand and I will always turn off. Every other song I'm fine with. It's really weird. That's um, pretty rare. It's, yeah, it's it's. I don't think any other band that I've owned any music from uh, has there ever been like an entire album that I've just gone, yeah, brilliant. Okay, job done. But they they released that their the latest album is called Rant and it's uh, entirely a cappella. Uh-huh. I, I don't know what I was expecting because I don't like a cappella music as a style. My biggest problem with it being that I'm sorry, the human voice just cannot give me the power and the intensity and the awesome that a fucking shredded guitar solo can give me, or <laughs> you know, the the soulful mournful violin can give me do you know what i mean it's just not thing that i can deal with but i bought the album on a pre-order as you do because way it's the future heads and i love them and i thought yeah this is going to be great and uh and you know what i uh i went to see them last night do the acapella tour to go with the album and i'm so glad that i did because before i went to this gig i was not enjoying this album very much at all yeah Uh, because I liked, they've done a few folk songs and they're really good. But I think the reason I liked them was because I don't know what they're supposed to sound like with instruments. Right, <laughs> so I've got no pro- like no previous concept of how they should sound. So they were fine. But they've done two covers, both of which I never liked the originals of anyway. So that's not a great start. And then of their own songs that they covered, uh, well, that they rearranged in an acapella style, they picked the one that I hate. a couple that i fully expected them to do and and they're all right but because i know how brilliant they are with instruments i just i couldn't get fully behind it but then i went i went to this gig last night and i'm telling you i've never been to a gig that's been so original and brilliant and they were really funny like in between songs they were really funny and it was probably one of the best gigs i've ever been to and there was like i don't know couldn't have been more than 400 people in this tiny room at the glee club but it was it was oh it was amazeballs uh, my whole outlook on this album has entirely changed now <laughs> uh, that sounds about right because acapella i imagine the human voice well it is gonna it's gonna sound completely different in person isn't it i know that we saw the bare naked ladies and they did an a they did an acapella version of one of the their well known songs i think it was sound of your, i can't remember i think it was sound of your voice but it just it in that sort of space it can fill the whole space can't it and the live show it already it's already loud enough that it's resonating through your whole body anyway 
and you can sort of see them interacting on stage as well mm-hmm. which suddenly makes it seem like rather than being oh well like like this band I like but without instruments it suddenly seems like a much more intimate thing I guess no it definitely and I think one of the ones that did it was there's a song on the album called number one song in heaven and I don't know if that's a reimagining of a song that's existed before or one that they've created themselves. I've never heard of it before. And it starts with sort of almost a, a choiry type thing while the the one the main guy sings the actual lyrics. There's like almost a choiry type thing going on in the background, which on the album is, is fine. But in person, it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Yeah. Because it was just like, it, like you say, it just filled the room. And it it just, oh, I don't know. I've, I've got a whole new appreciation for acapella music now, mm-hmm. which is well, great. For them, because for them doing it. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm such an advocate of the Future Heads and I will always say go out and buy all their albums because you should. But if you're going to buy any, maybe just don't buy this one first unless you're a really big fan of acapella. <laughs> is, is their version of Hounds of Love, it's like quite a fast... It, it's the one that everybody seems to know. Like if you ever went to a festival around the time that that, <laughs> that song came out and everybody started going, oh... Oh, it would have been that one. <laughs> oh yeah, I really like that. So it's I, awesome. I should maybe I should maybe search them out. It's interesting, which you can't. So I'm very old when it comes to music. I, it's one of the few areas where I've become a little bit cantankerous <laughs> and uh, and old. And um, it's very difficult for me to find new music that I like. So I tend to just gravitate back to like stuff that. I know really well, like they might be giants and people like that. So, see, now I'm just discovering they might be giants. Oh, I love them. <laughs> I went to see them at uh, Latitude Festival last year. Didn't really know anything by them at all, except Birdhouse in Your Soul, <laughs> mm. which I only knew because Rich and a few friends absolutely murdered it at a karaoke. Uh, <laughs> and when I say murdered, I'm not talking slightly out of tune, I'm talking so drunk they can't even form words like terrible you wouldn't think it'd be that easy to i mean it's not it's not a tuneful song so (laughs) that's funny it was the formation of the words that i think they were struggling with because it kind of came out like (laughs) (laughs) he sounded like cartman and definitely definitely check out the future heads because i think they're brilliant and i love a good i love a good accent i love when people sing in their actual accents i've got a friend who is a really fucking brilliant folksy guitar player but he sings in an irish accent that he hasn't actually got and i find it really jarring because i'm like neil i'm having a conversation with you right now and you're not irish (laughs) What are you doing? It's very strange. But I, one of the reasons I love the Future Heads is that they're from Sunderland and they sing with a Macam accent. Oh, it's, I like that. It's great. Yeah. They've got they've got one song where they say that uh, she loves all the books. I thought, oh, books. <laughs> it's so cute. I also, like I'm in love with two of them, so that helps. You live with two of the Future Heads? No, no, I'm in love with two of them. Oh, you're in love with two of them. <laughs> Both at the same time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, they're just incredibly cute. <laughs> I think uh, I think it's weird when Brit acts do American accents, which quite a lot of them yeah. have done traditionally. But yeah, I like a good regional accent. Or I don't mind, you know, this wave. I guess it started with the streets, but this wave of um, UK acts who are quite happy to talk in estuary English. I hate it when it's spoken, but I don't mind it when it's in in songs, oh, which I'm is very very. Strange. Not a fan of it, but not I do love. Maximo Park as well, sync because they're from Newcastle. And oh, yeah, they're really like, good. Proper Geordie accents, and I love it. I remember, <laughs> actually, the first time I went to see the Future Heads live uh, was back when Maximo Park had, like, 
they were barely anything and they supported the future heads <laughs> and now they've just gotten so much bigger it's almost scary <laughs> i know them because um i only really know them because they've got songs on a couple of the burnout soundtracks so like major uh game release you know the racing game burnout yeah. You might not know the racing game, but well, uh, yeah, I know a lot of songs because they play on the soundtracks while you're running around smashing up cars, and that's how I know Maximo Park. <laughs> so. oh, I love them, absolutely love them. But the the singer from that band is kind of terrifying. If you've ever seen him live, like he really stares, with <laughs> very wide eyes, like very wide eyes, and he he always looks a little bit like he's probably going to murder someone shortly afterwards. And I'm pretty sure I went to see them once where he was quite violently sick on the side of the stage in the middle of a song and then came back and finished it. <laughs> Do you think it's nerves, or it could be anything, couldn't it? Yeah, but there's um, one of their videos, I think it was for Apply Some Pressure, which is an awesome song. He, he starts getting a random nosebleed, and uh, <laughs> and obviously it's just part of the video, it's not a real nosebleed, but he's staring into the camera with these wide, like, crazy eyes, singing through his teeth with this, like, nosebleed going on. I'm just like, oh, God, he's going to murder me in my sleep. <laughs> Pretty sure he is. Uh, it's really scary. So off-topic right now, it's ludicrous. And I've yeah. just noticed the time, and here I am lounging in my bed, and who knows, Rich might want to actually go to sleep at some point this evening. So, <laughs> is there anything else in particular you want to talk about? Because I've got one more review that I desperately want to do. The only thing I feel like I should mention, and I'll only mention it really quickly, uh, we finally got around to watching X-Men First Class this week. Ooh, okay. Because I, I don't know why, I hadn't really put it off, but it was it was on the Love Film queue and it eventually rotated around. It's all right, isn't it? It made me cry. <laughs> did it make you cry? Yeah, it did. Which bit? The Where bit on the beach, the beach towards the end. Oh, yeah, it was. that was all really good. That whole sequence was great. I, I think generally the film was really, really good, but it was difficult watching it with a sort of a non-geeky person because I don't know how much she's picked up from the movies, the previous X-Men movies, and she won't watch the cartoons or anything. So when they really throw in the references the way they do in those films, like, you know, the references to X-Men and Alex Summers is in it and he's like Cyclops' brother and all of that, but it's not mentioned. I spend the whole film like sitting there twitching, wanting to tell her, oh, that's really funny because such and such, and that's really funny because it's reference to this other thing. But no, the whole, the thing with Moira McTaggart when, yeah. No, I know that it, it's, that final sequence is really good. The payoff to that movie is brilliant. Oh, gosh, it's amazing. And do you know what? I'm not a big fan of um, McAvoy, and I thought he was brilliant in it. Mm, Re- he really was. good. Really side, side, of, side of Xavier that I've never seen before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But still kind of believable. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because <clears throat> it's Patrick Stewart who plays him in the other films, you kind of get that twinkling, that little twinkle in the eye thing from him, I think. Yeah, Maybe definitely. Like, I might love Patrick Stewart a little bit, actually. Do you know what? I can't say I'd blame you. Yeah, I don't if know. You've, if you've got a man crush, that's, that's all gravy, because I think he's a bit great. I get more of them every year. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought that film was really good. Um, yeah. th- if I was going to pick a fault, like the only thing I would say is that I thought Emma Frost's diamond form was kind of shit. I hate. I don't really like that that much in the comics either. No, me neither. I, I, never think, I don't think it's ever looked good in anything. <laughs> but to me, it's what what I find ridiculous. The, mo- the most ridiculous about it is she's a she's a human. Kind of. She's a mutant, but she's a human. She's an organic life form transforming into diamond, but it's cut diamond. That doesn't make any sense to me. No, it, that's true. Diamonds <laughs> don't look like that naturally, so it's kind of... 
I just think it looked kind of rubbish. Yeah. I, am I remembering rightly that Kevin Bacon's all awesome in that film? Kevin Bacon's, well, it, he's Kevin Bacon and he's I love, always I awesome. I love Kevin Bacon. Kevin yeah. Bacon. Tell you what, Kevin Bacon, I love him. I mean, me and Rich had a discussion not long ago about Kevin Bacon because I happened to be watching Tremors, which I think is a fantastic film. Yeah, it is. Um, and Rich thinks he's like a, a ton of shit. And he was like, come on, Slay, seriously, the acting is bad, the uh, the effects are bad, the, the script is bad. And I was like, hold on, back up a sec, the acting is bad, Kevin Bacon, the end. <laughs> what are it's you a very, Kevin it's B- a very, sorry, go on. No, no, it's fine. You're just going to say Kevin Bacon. I'm just going to keep going, seriously, dude, though, Kevin Bacon. And Tremors is deliberately like that, though, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think it's deliberate. No, I think he's great. I Like, he, he tends, if the director tells him to, to eat up scenery quite a lot but he's he is i mean he's proper creepy in x-men first class and um i don't know if you saw that rain wilson the it's like kick-ass but i think oh, super. Uh, super yeah oh my word. Um, kevin bacon's horrible in that mm-hmm. he's like properly creepy so i know i think he's great and i think it's amazing that he is he's kind of famous for not being as famous as he should be that's why he. That's why you can easily do that seven degrees or eight degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever it is, because he's been in loads of really good films with loads of really good people. I don't know. That's super though. Oh, if there's one thing I never needed to see in my life, it was Ellen Page telling us that her vagina's all gushy. Oh, <laughs> fucking. Oh, just that film is like a hundred kinds of wrong, and yet somehow it ends up being pretty good. I really, I, I. Ended up having a, a not an argument, but quite a. It's a difficult film to defend to someone who just yes, doesn't like it. It's not. You can't say you enjoyed it in the sense that it's not a fun film, and it's not a. It's a difficult film to watch because it is just so wrong. Yeah. But at the same time, I thought it was great. It's just a film about mentally ill people, basically. Yeah, that yeah definitely. All of them are just mental. Oh, it's bonkers, but it's good. Yeah. But yeah, so X Men First Class, it was good. I I think um, it. What was interesting to me was the real James Bondy nineteen sixties feel of it was really really worked well. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know what possessed them to do that, but it just worked. <laughs> it was good. So who cares? It made me want to see what's his name, uh, Fassbender, as James Bond at some point as well. Oh, I I got a proper crush on him after that film. I think the internet loves him. It's crazy, but I think I didn't really understand it before, and and yeah, I loved him in that film. I thought he was great. I don't think I'd ever seen him in anything before, not that I remembered anyway. But I just saw it, and I was like instantly like, "Who is this guy? He's great." He's in Inglorious Bastards. I haven't seen that. Ah, okay. And he was in a film called Eden Lake that we saw a couple of weeks ago, which is basically one of those torture porn movies in that it's about this middle-class English couple who go down to this this abandoned lake and have a nice sort of camping trip, except that there are evil teenage chavs. It's basically about how scared middle-class people are of teenage chavs. <laughs> <laughs> and it's horrible. Oh, but, no. yeah, I've win- got to admit, I'm pretty scared of chavs, to be fair. Yeah. Well, I think this this probably, like plays on that a little bit but yeah in um in x-men first class he's so he's so intense while still being quite a lot of fun i think i've got a bit of a crush on him as well i'm just finding this out right now though as we talk it's a weird (laughs) weird moment oh do you know what i feel i feel privileged to have been a part of this moment in your life (laughs) i'm gonna move on because i'm i'm conscious of the time that's cool. And I really wanted to do a review of this. Um, I got sent the first four issues of a comic called uh, Princeless. Um, oh, yeah. 
I don't know. Like it's it's from Action Lab comics. I had literally no idea what it was. <laughs> After the first episode uh, of the parlour that I did, a dude on Twitter was like, hey, would you like to review this? And I'm, I'm never one to turn away free shit. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, go on then, send it my way. Just absolutely no clue what it was about. Long story short, it's about a princess who her parents do the typical medieval styly parent thing, which is dump her in a tower with a dragon out the front and hope that eventually some kick-ass knight will come along and rescue her and they can get married and have loads of babies and heirs to the throne and whatnot. And sort of after a few nights of, of tried and failed, she kind of comes to the conclusion that, do you know what? I'm not going to sit about farting around in this tower just having random dude after random dude be rubbish right outside my window. I'm going to take control of my own destiny. Right, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get myself a suit of armour and stuff. And I'm going to get myself a sword. And I'm going to go and rescue all my sister princesses from their stupid shitty towers. And I'm I'm going to flipping turn this all about on its head and get some, you know, women's rights things going on. (laughs) And it's really good. I wasn't... Because I didn't know what I was getting into, I didn't really know what to expect. The art is really good. It's kind of... How do I describe it? It's like cutesy, but with an edge. I'm assuming that they were going for that purposefully to kind of go with the idea of it being a cutesy fairy tale all turned on its head. Yeah, I I just thought it was really... The the dialogue's really good. It's really refreshing. I love the idea behind it. The, The only negative that I will say is that there are a couple of bits in there that are a bit too women's rightsy. Uh, if that written, makes sense. Yeah, is it written by a guy or? It's written by a bloke. Um, yeah, Jeremy Whiteley. Whitley. Not quite sure where the e goes in his name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, there's like a scene where she sort of um she breaks free from her terror and she's wearing some of the armor left behind from knights that have failed to rescue her. Mm. And she befriends her dragon, the one who was sort of guarding her tower, and uh, and flies off. And she she lands in this blacksmith's, and uh, the blacksmith turns out is a massive drunk and all of the armor's actually been being made by his daughter and she uh she says to this princess oh do you want me to do you want me to get some of the women's armor for you and and the princess is like oh wait you made women's armor i didn't realize that people made that because women aren't warriors and she's like yeah of course i do come out the back and have a look and and out the back are these outfits that are just totally ridiculously impractical uh, <laughs> one is very obviously based on wonder woman's design it's like a bikini that's got bracelets and she's like what if they try and stab me in the stomach Mm -hmm. and the blacksmith's like i don't know what you're talking about this is obviously a costume (laughs) women don't fight that you're just being silly and the girl's like the princess is like well you know maybe you could design some that were for women who do actually fight and that conversation alone would have been fine except it went on for nearly two pages (laughs) that the blacksmith just wasn't getting the idea that you know women might need practical armour and she kept trying to sell her these there was one that was based on Xena warrior princess's design it was like you know pretty much nothing no protection on the arms and legs to speak of and it was a bit jarring to me to have such a long conversation about how women should be at home baking cakes and spewing out you know children and heirs and things and god what are you even thinking having a fight you're in a giraffe (laughs) it was just that i found that just a tiny bit jarring and there was a couple of instances like that but aside from that it was really really good and i would really recommend it if i'm remembering this rightly i am terrible i should really look stuff up before i start talking um, <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure there's a trade coming out or like a collected edition coming out pretty soon uh from action lab 
can, yeah, I would definitely recommend people get it. The, the good thing about it as well, I haven't reviewed it in a very all-ages way, but it is, in fact, an all-ages comic. <laughs> um, I've sworn a lot. They don't do that in the <laughs> I hadn't. Um, I, ha- I hadn't noticed. But I liked the fact that it didn't sort of pander to being for children. If you know, there, there are a lot of comics that claim to be all ages that are actually just for children, mm. um, or that claim to be all ages but would totally go over the heads of, of some smaller children. This I think has the perfect balance because it's got the jokes and the references that I can get, and it's got the art that I want to look at, and it's got a good fun story. But at the same time, it's not remotely difficult. A child would understand it; they would have fun reading it. And I'd, I'd wholeheartedly recommend it, which is good because I hate when people send me stuff for free and then I go, oh, I'll be shit on it. <laughs> it's really difficult to know what to say at that point, isn't it? Yeah, because sometimes I just think, so I just not review it at all? But, you know, does my silence say more than more? <laughs> <laughs> John on the Monkey on My Back site is in touch with the Action Lab guys and he seems to be quite pleased with most of the stuff they're putting out. I don't know where those guys have come from, though. It's just like hadn't heard of them two years before and suddenly they're putting out this really solid roster of titles and mm-hmm. Princeless apparently, yeah, I've heard only good things about it. But that thing you're talking about, it's it must be really difficult for... I don't know why I'm saying must be because I do a bit of writing as well. It's really difficult for guys writing women, I think, especially if you kind of want to make a point like the one you're talking about with Princeless where you're trying to approach it from a sort of a feminist viewpoint or something, it's really difficult not to become a bit pretentious about it maybe a little bit Mm -hmm. or not to know when to stop, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I think that the problem with it was that the conversation was something that the sort of land that that's set in, you can entirely understand why that conversation would have happened because Mm. women would pretty much be relegated to the home and having babies. It's like their two main duties is cook stuff and have babies. I think it was just the length the length of that conversation just made it feel a bit too forced in my throat that yeah. this girl, she's turning stuff on its head and I'm like, I know that. It's all right, <laughs> I get it. I'm already aware I've got that part. I'd just like to get on with the, the story part of it now if you wouldn't mind. Um, yeah. But it was that like one glitch in what was sort of four comics worth of stuff. And I think each comic was about 25, 26 pages long. So that's quite a lot of pages to only be upset by like two. <laughs> God, it's nice if you can get through a uh, get through a comic and and go four or five pages. <laughs> yeah, that's that, really that negative. Is like, that is true. Certainly from DC and Marvel at the moment, as much as I'm really liking a lot of their titles, there are very few unreserved. You know, any books that you could really unreservedly say, yep, that was all 100% great sort of thing. It just doesn't happen at the moment. So, yeah, it sounds great. That sounds really good. Mm -hmm. It is really good. And I would say, like I say, I mean, I'd recommend it to adults and children alike. It's very much a a universal kind of book. But I think that was one of the things I noticed about Action Lab is that when you get to the end of the the issues, there's a couple of adverts for other things that they're they're releasing. And there's a couple of like proper horror stories and uh, and a couple of slightly odd sounding things. Because I I, I think, have you ever spoken to Dave Dwanch? Um, No, I know the name. But he um he is a guy he does a podcast called Geek Savants. I love Dave. He's one of the nicest blokes I've ever spoken to. He's like he's proper if you listen to Geek Savants, he's well vulgar and just he swears like nobody's business, but he's such a lovely, generous, just awesome guy. He's like he's like a gentleman bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love him. And I think he's sort of one of the one of the head honchos at um, Action Lab. Yeah. So I think it's good because he's very much, if you look at the stuff that he's put out sort of self-published and stuff before, it's very 
it, there's a broad range of it. Like he will delve into the the more adult stuff, and he'll do an all ages comic, and he'll do. Well, he'll have a go at anything. I think if somebody wrote stuff for him, or if he, you know, he, I think he writes as well. But he's he's such a such an awesome dude. And uh, and once I found out that he was involved with Action Lab, I was like, yeah, I want to get in on this. So I'm probably going to try and pick some more stuff up now. So <laughs> I've got that out of me, haven't they? Bastard. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> they, uh, I don't know where you buy. I guess you buy this stuff from. I think it's just actionlab.com. So you get it offline. Yeah, yeah. that sounds about right. Because I mean, the other thing about companies like that is it's quite difficult for them to get their stuff into comic shops. Yeah. So, but that's good because presumably they get all the money if you get it from their site. I'd like to think so. That's probably where I'll buy stuff from. Right. Lastly, before I go, I don't know if you're a fan of Jamie Smart. Oh God, I love Jamie Smart. But I completely, completely am. I, I, I just want to lick his delightful little face. Do you? Are you reading Corporate School? I am. I just want to check. You interviewed him, didn't you? A couple of times, yeah, with Comic Racks. It was um, it was interesting. He's such a dude, but we kept having so many uh, technological issues. That yeah. It was tough to do the episodes. I think that's the first time I ever heard you actually yeah no he's great i do sometimes i don't tell him that i said that though because i pretend to have a feud of him online but i think i've got a bit of an art crush on him <laughs> i absolutely adore him but um corporate school the first book of that finished it's a it's a web comic for those that don't know and um the first book of it finished today so by the time i put this episode out probably about a month ago <laughs> and i think you can now go back and sort of read the whole book it's about a hundred different sort of web comic pages long but it's just oh it's like top tits awesome in it <laughs> it's just about a dude whose face gets ripped off in a sort of mad photocopier accident and then there's just this sort of whole conspiracy theory just a just implodes from there um it is ridiculous it is full of swear words and stupidity and awesome and a couple of monsters and it's just oh and office politics obviously yeah um, lots of office politics lots of office politics i love it i absolutely love it i mean i was a fan of corporate school from when he sort of back in the days when people still use live journal he put up a couple of um very short strips i mean there was one that i thought was brilliant where um he walks into a meeting late, has a bit of an argument with the bloke, like the, the main, the sort of head honcho at the building. And then he gets bored with the meeting and he says uh, something along the lines of, uh, if anybody needs me, I'll be face down in twat. And just <laughs> walks out of the office. And I was creasing at that. And as soon as he said that he was going to sort of follow it up with a more in-depth story, I was there with flipping bells on, I tell you. Could not wait. And the first book has been awesome. It's, it's brilliant. It's just at corporateschool.com if you want to go and read the first book. It is... I can't say enough good things about Jamie Smart. Because his art, it's it's so bizarre that his art is so incredibly cute. But in a kind of almost almost dark kind of cute if that makes any sort of yeah, sense no definitely what's amazing is that while he's doing it while he's doing stories about about people getting their faces ripped off in offices and lots of swearing and stuff like that he's also ruining desperate dan <laughs> is he actually ruining it <laughs> no that's the that was the i think the daily mail or someone said that about him it was a few years ago that he did that he ruined that he's been ruining doctor who monsters for the last year or so i think oh i love his little doctor who <laughs> i think they're amazing he's amazing okay. but yeah it is he's his style's so versatile that mm-hmm. like you can recognize it but yeah he can because bear was quite horrible oh i love bear <laughs> absolutely door bear is corporate skull like the first really long form thing oh no he did 
he did something else, didn't he? But Bear's the first proper long-form story with lots of ins and outs. and Yeah, because cons- um, he had that mini-series Ubu Boo Boo, mm. that, that demon cat. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. But yeah, I think because the other thing he's got coming out in June, I think, a collected edition of his other webcomic, Kochi Wanaba. Oh, yeah, which I'm waiting for because... I sometimes have trouble reading really long things online. So Me too. I tend was... to wait for them to have a lot of, of issues like, that I yeah. can just blast through, which is what, it's why I wanted to mention corporate school, because I think now is a great time to have a look at it if you haven't already. Definitely. It'd be in the end of book one, because it's awesome. But I can't wait to get Kochi in my sweaty little palms. That art, The art on that was beautiful. Absolutely luscious absolutely luscious i just yeah he's he's a bloke who i think if i met him at a con which i wouldn't because he's almost as socially retarded as i am (laughs) if i met him at a con there'd just be literally no way we could have a conversation um, (laughs) because i'd just be staring wistfully at his face and dribbling onto my shirt i think that would be the way that would go yeah that'd be droll i'm sure he did a, did a fantastic sketch for me. He drew me a picture of Ubu Boo Boo wearing my glasses, and it said, uh, Ubu stays Boo Boo, she say twadge, because uh, obviously I love the word twadge when I accidentally uh, invented it a couple of years ago and kept trying to force him to put it in a comic, which he still hasn't, and I still think he should. But it's just like, man, my day. I was like, I got that in the post, and I was like, oh, great, thing in the world, framed on my wall. Mm-hmm. At this point, he is probably just not putting it in comics deliberately to wind you up. Either that or he's completely forgotten. <laughs> but I do think the word twadge has a certain Jamie Smartish air about it. Just oh, no, completely. It's the sort like, of it's straight out of bear, isn't it? Yeah. Well, to, to be fair, it was it was a completely accidental thing where I, I was thinking the word twat and saying the word minge and it came out twadge. <laughs> went, a, went a bit wrong all up in the in the mouth there, but, um, yeah. <laughs> twat and minge. <laughs> All right, I think it's time I retired to, to. It took me a few seconds to catch up. Sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I think it's time to call it a day, mate. Is there anything you want to plug or shout out to before we uh, skim uh, it? Yeah, sure. Elephant Words is always good. I'm not writing for it at the moment, but that's really good. Elephantwords.co.uk is great. The other thing I should mention is, as well as Mom Comics which is the Momcast site. They did the Twitter comic last week, Twitter comic 2012, which was David Wynn, who I don't know if you know, but he's good. Um, he's, he's a great comic artist and writer. Came down to Southampton and did over 24 hours, a 24-page comic based on ideas from Twitter. Oh, my God. Yeah, I wasn't there. I, I double-booked myself, so I couldn't be there, but that's probably just as well, really. The first idea was voted on by lots of people, but it was by Jimmy Palmiotti, if you can believe that. <laughs> brilliant! I, I love know. that guy. He's awesome. He is. He's brilliant. He's uh, Yeah, I really like him, uh, but that's a whole other, other topic. But yeah, and it kind of went into all sorts of different places. So if you go to momcomics, momcomics.com, it should be easy to find. But yeah, keep an eye out for those things because it's really cool if we can do them more often, if that makes sense. (laughs) Total sense, yes. I wasn't thinking of mentioning it until you asked if I wanted to mention anything, so I didn't really prepare anything. (laughs) 
I don't prepare anything, to be honest. I just make a list of things I want to talk about so I don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> it's that there's no literally no information next to what I wanted to say. <laughs> anyway, well, Nick, it's been an absolute delight having you here in the parlour, sharing a lovely. cup of tea. It's mm. been so nice. This is the part I always hate because I don't actually want to stop talking to people. But, you know, <laughs> the logical side of my brain is going, you've got to get up for work tomorrow at quarter to six, Stace. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Shutting up. <laughs> I'm on holiday, so I don't have to oh, worry about that. Shut up, you tart. <laughs> oh, jealous. Well, it's been a delight having you on, and uh, no doubt at some point in the future, when I've run out of other friends, I'll ask you back. <laughs> After the ghosts? After all the ghosts, okay. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm quite impressed, actually, that I've managed to, to bag at least four people for the not-too-distant future. So I've got, like, up until the summer, I guess. <laughs> don't know what I'm quite going to do after that but um, if any of you lovely listeners want to be on the podcast you'd be totally welcome you can either drop me an email at stacysparlour at gmail.com or you can come and find me on twitter I am stacebobt I tend to talk a lot of shit about rubbish public transport to be honest but I do sometimes talk about comics so it's all good or I complain about being human you know whichever I feel like doing at the time (laughs) come follow me I'm great do you You want to um Oh, thanks. Uh, here's your twenty pound. Um, <laughs> it's late. I might be delirious. I, I don't know. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, I should say I'm at Nick's site as well. That's something I should say on Twitter. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now you can get all the stalkers as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. That's been episode three, and uh, hopefully next month I'll be joined by another lady. So um, we'll see how that goes. We might end up having a cat fight. Who knows? <laughs> Toodle pip. I was 19 when I came to town. And they called it the summer alone. They were burning babies, burning flags. There were hawks against the doves. I got a job at a steamy down, down, down on Cauldron Street. Fell in love with a laundry girl who was working next to me Oh, she was a rare thing Fine as a bee's wing So fine a breath of wind might blow her away She was a lost child Oh, she was a running wild She says, as long as there's no price on love As long as there's no price on love As long as there's no price on love I'll stay Wanted any other way. I came to town. They called it the summer. I came to town. They called it the summer. Brown hair zigzag around her face and a look of half surprise. Like a fox caught in the headlights, there was animal in her eyes. She said, Young man, can't you see? I'm not the factory kind. If you don't take me out of here, I'll surely lose my mind. Oh, she was a rare thing, fine as a bee's wing. So fine a breath of wind might blow her away. Blow her away. She was a lost child. Oh, she was a running wild. She says, as long as there's no price on love, as long as there's no price on love, as long as there's no price on love, I'll stay. And you wouldn't want it any.